Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. Welcome to Whitestone Christian Fellowship. Our reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 19. We'll read verses 6 through 9. As we get into the study on the marriage of the Lamb, not just the wedding, but the marriage of the Lamb, it's, uh, there's, there's a difference. A wedding is an event. A marriage is a lifetime. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning, we're just excited to look into your marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. Father, we just love you and we thank you and we just encourage you to continue to be that husbandman for us. We look forward to the day when we'll be together with all of the saints, regardless of Jew or Gentile, that all of your church will be together in one place with you. And Lord, we look forward to seeing people that we haven't met, people that we have met, people that we're surprised to see, and Lord, some people that we're surprised that won't be there. Lord, we ask you to just bless our time this morning as we look into this and we study your word about it. Lord, your your word provides the high mark that we can look to to try to attain. Not that we'll ever be able to attain it in this life, but Lord, we sure do like the goal set before us. It prompts us and it motivates us to, to do better, to be better, and to love you more. We just thank you and we praise you and ask you to be with us this morning. Fill, your, fill, our, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill our minds with thoughts of you. And Lord, teach us more about yourself. We love you, and we ask you to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, and we'll read verses 6 through 9 together. It's about the marriage of the Lamb. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Having just had a, a wedding here yesterday, it's really interesting what it means to be invited, called to the wedding. 
Because from that point on, that event, you get to watch a married couple. You get to watch them, what does it say in Genesis? You, you get to watch them leave father and mother, the husband to cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. What it amounts to is leave, cleave, and weave in your relationship together. It's an awesome picture of what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants us to leave this world. He wants us to cleave to Him. And He wants us to weave our lives together with Him in such a way that we're inseparable. That we're inseparable. That we, that we develop, and I know this is a bad word in psychiatry, he wants us to develop a codependent relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and quite frankly, I can't live without that codependent relationship. And he doesn't depend on me. I depend on him. We all depend on him. So it's kind of an interesting uh, correlation what the Lord asks us to do. He describes it in Genesis chapter 1. And chapter 2, that we're made in his image. And that when Adam had that deep sleep fall upon him and had the rib taken out of him, he was less than the image of God, in a manner of speaking. But then God took that rib that he took out of Adam and he made a whole other gender, a whole other person. And he presented it back to Adam. We watch, symbolically, within the marriage relationship, a fuller image of God develop. And I know marriage isn't, isn't for everybody. I know there's single people here. But I know that with Jesus as our husbandman, we reach the fullness of our potential with Him. Always and in every way. And sometimes that's without the distraction of another human being with us. But whether it's with a, with a spouse or with the Lord Jesus directly, He is our husbandman because He's the one that provides the relationships. Or the lack of them. But he says here in this, in this passage, <clears throat> the wife has made herself ready. It sounds like a work, doesn't it? To prepare yourself for a wedding. And I, any of you that have been married or been part of a wedding party, you know how much work it is to get the bride ready. It's not only the accoutrements and, and the dress and all of the paraphernalia that go along with a wedding, but it's also the heart relationship. And that's what the Lord is working on with each and every one of us. He's working on our hearts to show us all of the places 
all of the ways that we've blown it, and He's given us a path to get back to Him by believing in Jesus Christ, believing in Him and in, in His Word. When we talk about the marriage feast, we're going to look at chapter 22 of Matthew. And this comes at a time when Jesus is speaking to the crowds. And because it's Jesus speaking to the crowds in Israel, these are predominantly Jewish people who have been Jewish all their lives. The Pharisees are in among them. But he wants to teach them because the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they have taken the Jewish faith and rather than making it a heartfelt relationship, it becomes a system of laws and duties that have to be performed. And so in, verse, in chapter 22 of Matthew, in verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. If we're paying attention, he is talking about the father. He's talking about being, the, uh, being married to the bride of Christ. He's talking about his church. And he's talking about himself. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king. A certain king. Jesus has somebody specific in mind. And he is always mindful of the father. Anyways, this certain king sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden, invited, to the wedding. And they would not come. If you've ever had an opportunity to throw a shindig or a party or host a wedding and you send out the invitations, doesn't it drive you crazy when you don't hear back from the people that you invited? It says right on the bottom of the invitation, RSVP. And two weeks before the event, you have to call them up and say, are you coming or not? We didn't receive your RSVP. How interesting. By not hearing from them, they indicate that they probably weren't planning on coming. He sent, his, sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Now, who are his servants? His servants are the prophets. The Jews are the people. They're the ones that have been bidden to come, invited to enter into that relationship with God, with Jehovah. But they wouldn't come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. 
come. You see, back in those days, it wasn't just a nice fancy meal in a restaurant. It was a community event where oxen and sheep were barbecued on a spit. Now, the Jews never did this, but if you've been to a pig roast or an ox roast, you know what that means. There is enough food for hundreds of people. And all of these people are invited to come and join the celebration of the wedding. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them that are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. But they made light of it. We're okay. We don't need to do that. And they went their ways. One to his farm, and another to his merchandise. So it didn't make any difference if they were farmers or husbandmen of some kind, animal husbandry or growing crops. Or one went to another, his merchandise. He was a merchant. He went back to his business. And the remnant, the remnant of those people that were invited, they took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. And just as the scriptures tell us, the Jews killed every single one of the prophets that God sent to invite them. Just to invite them. They resented even the servants. They resented the prophets because the prophets would speak the word of God and they hated to be convicted of their sin. They hated it. Now, we don't like it either. But to, con to be convicted by the Holy Spirit is a form of chastening. And God chastens those whom He loves. He brings us correction. If we think about God's Word, what does, what does Paul say to Timothy? The Word of God is inspired. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. God desires to reveal Himself to us through His Word so that we're motivated to be better. So that we can at least believe in our hearts that we're trying to be worthy of a relationship with Him. But our worthiness is like, well, our worthiness, even our best good deeds are like filthy rags. Our idea of good is so inferior to God's idea of good that there's no comparison at all. Do we have good works? Yes, we have good works. But what motivates the good works? Is it a sense of duty? Is it because of the relationship with the other person that we're 
doing them with or to or for. It's incredible that motivations determine what our heart's condition is truly like. In verse 7 he says, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. This is Jesus being prophetic. He turned his back on the Jews. And 70 years after Jesus was crucified, the armies of the Lord, who were the enemies of the Jews, came back into Jerusalem, sacked the city, pulled down every stone, and burned it. Burned the entire city. The Jews fled. Or they were killed. That remnant that killed the prophets. Now 400 years had gone by since there was a prophet before Jesus. But this is the remnant. This is their offspring. These are the ones that grew up in the old atmosphere of a maligned Judaism. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Not only are they not worthy, but they're not even willing to be worthy. They like things the old way. They enjoy their comfort zone. They like the fact that they can actually do something <clears throat> to make it appear like there's an atonement going on for their sins. It's the duty of bringing a lamb in for sacrifice. It's the duty of making sure that you're tithing. It's the duty of doing all of those things that we do out of our hearts or are supposed to be doing out of our hearts that makes the old Jewish testament legalistic. It wasn't legalistic. It wasn't intended that way. If you read the Gospels, you'll find a little passage in one of the Gospels that says, the Pharisees say, where does this man, does, does he get this information We've not heard such gracious words. And all he was doing was teaching out of the Old Testament. Where does he get such gracious words? We've never heard it put like this before. We always heard, do this. Do the next thing. And don't forget, do this in the meantime. Jesus said to the Pharisees one time, you know, you, you tithe of your spices and your anise. And your cumin. But you have forgotten the weightier things of the law. Compassion and love. This ought you also tithe. And not leave out the other. See, they weren't doing anything with a correct heart. They could give of their goods, but they couldn't give of their hearts.
He said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Invite them. <clears throat> so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. <clears throat> Bad and good. With, with the Old Testament Jews, and even the Jews during Jesus' time, it was the them and us mentality. It was the Jews and then everybody else, the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were considered to be as dogs. Bad dogs at that. They were the bad. They went out and gathered as many as they could, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And the king came in to see the guests, and he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. <clears throat> Interesting, the Jews were among the chosen, but they refused to come. This man came just because that's where everybody was going. And he refused a wedding garment. Which is an interesting thing. It seems like everybody else had a wedding garment except this man. Where do we get our wedding garments? Where do they come from? Who's the supplier? We're going to go back and we're going to look at <clears throat> look at a couple of things here. In Luke 12, verses 35 to 40. And these are things that are parables and they're warnings about the second coming. It says, Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. Now there's a, there's a combination of parables here. Let your loins be girt about. Paul taught about this in second in uh, in Ephesians chapter six. Let your loins be girt about with truth. Now take a real look at what's going on. Face it and and filter it through God's word so that you had a fuller understanding. And <clears throat> have your lights burning. Well, here's the parable of the ten virgins. Five that were unwise and just burned all their oil as fast as they could. And the five that trimmed their lamps and kept the oil in supply for what they wanted. So that when the bridegroom came, they were ready. And you yourselves, like unto men, 
Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he shall come and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. So there's the first thing that we need to be doing. We need to have, we need to be watching, having our loins girt about, our lights burning, waiting for the Lord, and watching. Literally, waiting with expectation. Expectation. And make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. The master will come, and he will serve them. He will serve his servants. That's exactly what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He served the servants. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. We don't know when he's coming back. We just know he's coming back. If he's later than we think, and we're still faithful to watch with expectation, or if he comes even later in the third watch, there's going to be some that think, oh, where's the promise of the Lord's coming? Where's the fulfillment? We've been waiting 2,000 years. He's not here. He's not coming. See, there's the problem with our hearts. It's interesting that Paul expected the return of the Lord during his own lifetime. And how much closer are we then, therefore, in our lifetimes? And here we are, living in a world of instant gratification. <laughs> instant gratification. Everything from microwaves to self-service gas pumps. We just go ahead and we grab all we can at the food market. We're a blessed nation. <clears throat> he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or comes in the third watch and finds them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. But you be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. The robes of righteousness come with us being focused on God's word, which is the truth. Focused on Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And with our lights burning, waiting in the darkness and conserving our oil, but that light is the light of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's job, his role, according to John 14, 26, is to teach us all things and to bring all things to our remembrance whatsoever Jesus has spoken. 
That's the role of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 6, a familiar verse, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Pleasing the law, it won't work. Following duties of legalized religion, it won't work. If you want to get to the Father, it's got to be by Jesus Christ. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. With the law no longer written in stone tablets, but in the fleshly tables of our hearts. This is so vital. It's all about our heart condition. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And finally, we're going to get back into Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> In chapter 6 of Revelation and verse 10, well, I'm going to go back to verse 9. This is the fifth seal. This is the martyred remnant during the tribulation period. And when he had opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of them which were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? <clears throat> now this is in chapter 6. In chapter 4, the rapture of the church has occurred. John being one of those last of the apostles, he hears a voice in chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, get up here. And suddenly he's in the Spirit, and he begins to see visions. And he sees the things that are going to come in the future. And that's the last we hear of the church until we get to chapter 19. So it's kind of interesting. Here, just two chapters later, there are already slayings going on. Martyrdom is taking place because of people's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the testimony that they hold. I saw under the, soul, under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, How long, O Lord? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed, as they were, should be fulfilled. There's more martyrdom, there's more deaths, there's no more murders because of the testimony of Jesus Christ that the saints held 
Now, <clears throat> this is the remnant of people from the Left Behind series that get saved through the Great Tribulation period. These are those that are saying, okay, we've paid the price. When are you going to avenge us, Lord? Uh, they're not done killing all of you yet. I'll take care of them all at once. Judgment day is coming. And the Lord says, rest for a little season. And it's just a little season. We also see in chapter 7, verse 9, In, from verse 4 through 8, we see that the remnant out of Israel is sealed, the Jews that are saved during this time. I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. That's 12,000 from each of the tribes. After this I beheld, in verse 9, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. There's 144,000 of the Jews that are saved in among this crowd. But the rest of the crowd is innumerable from people of every nation and ethnicity across the earth, but believers every one. These are the saints that went up in the rapture. These are the ones that were given their white robes to enter into the kingdom. The 144,000, they were getting their robes as they were sitting under the altar in heaven. Resting a while, just for a season. This is exciting when we look at the, the chronology of this. Uh, there's so many churches and ministers that are afraid to teach Revelation, but it makes sense. It makes sense. It's the only book of the Bible that gives an outline of the things and the events that are going to be talked about. He tells John in the beginning, to write the things which were, the things which are, and the things which shall be. Past, present, and future. And already we're getting into the future events here in chapters 6 and 7. They stood before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. And if you drop down to verse four, 14 of chapter 7, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They have taken the blood of Jesus Christ and said, Lord, make me pure, make me clean, wash me white as snow. It's an incredible vision that John must have seen. He's trying to explain it in terms that we can understand and relate to, but think how much more glorious it would be. 
to be there and to watch it happen. And finally, we're going to go back to chapter 3, verse 4. John's message to the church at Sardis. Let's, let's begin at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Following the teachings of Jesus. Following the teachings of an inspired Paul and Peter. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Where do we get our robes from? By working on worthiness, working on holiness, working on compassion and empathy and love, not only for others in the church, but for all of mankind. We get our righteous robes because Jesus gives them to us. He supplies them. He supplies the blood that washes us clean. And we overlook it. Just as those that were bidden to the wedding, they made light of it. They made light of it. They would rather have a killer released than the Lord Jesus Christ. How they must have hated conviction, how they must have loved their legalistic system of faith and worship. It's not what God has in mind for any of us. In John 14, 16, 18, 20, and 26, we find that God, in the fullness of Father, Son, and Spirit, takes up an abiding presence in us. We talk about the Trinity, but He's one. He manifests Himself physically in the person of Jesus Christ. He manifests Himself in His Word, which is the Father. All of Jesus' words were the words of the Father. 
All of his deeds were the deeds of the Father. And he manifests himself in his Holy Spirit because it is the Spirit of the Father and the Son and the Spirit of the Spirit. We just read that there are seven spirits of God. They're in Isaiah. Look them up this week. You'll find a resource that is so deep and so wonderful that you'll want to read it over and over and over again. But we have a triune God who loves us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we find that wonderful prayer that the Jews refer to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Indeed, He is. And verse 5 continues and said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. When God says in Genesis that He made us in His image, can we not visualize or understand that we also have a body, a mind, and a spirit? That's the image of God. People think it's a physical image. No, that's only part of it. The full image of God is body, mind, and spirit. And it relates to our body, mind, and spirit. That's why the scriptures tell us that our spirit finds agreement with his spirit. Now, we can, if we can get our mind attuned to his and our body doing the things that he would have us do, we would be much closer, much closer to that full image of God. So here's the marriage. Continually getting closer and closer to God. The bride hath prepared herself. What is that preparation? It is the sanctification of the saints. We have been set apart for change. The bride has prepared herself. So keep preparing. Keep watching. Keep your hearts focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and His teachings. And keep your lamps lit and watch with expectation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for we thank you for the comparison of marriage with our relationship with you. Lord, we truly do want to be more like you. We want to be one with you. And your word says that <coughs> we shall be one day. So, Lord, bless our time this week. Cause us to walk in the light of your word. Walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. And we'll have fellowship with one another 
and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. Father, you're a great, great mind. You're an all-powerful entity, Lord and ruler. And you've turned over all things to your Son so that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. Lord, bless our time truly this week. Don't let us waste an opportunity to share with somebody or to be kind to someone or to encourage someone. Lord, bless them. And bless us this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us that Thy way may be known upon earth, Thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Have a wonderful week this week with Him. Stay close. Keep your lamps lit. Watch. Thanks for listening to this week's Sunday morning Bible study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the Sunday or Thursday Bible studies or observation archives, check on the dates and times for this week's Bible studies, or to contact Pastor Bob, simply log on to whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. That's whitestonechristianfellowship.blogspot.com. Or dial 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Pastor Bob teaches the Word of God line by line and verse by verse every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob encourages all of you to immerse yourselves in the Word of God. From here in upstate New York, we are reminded daily that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.